0: her immunity will not allow it. You know, she, she would just not be able to handle any anesthesia. So in, you know, two minutes, your world just crumble, you know. You're like, whoa, how am I able to function after this news? And actually, there's something in your brain that, you know, either make you fight, flight or freeze. And I think I froze and I had to freeze because I I had to call my husband, my sisters, my dad, you know, I had to make all these phone calls to tell them the news. And then I had to go back to the room and just face my mom looking totally normal.
1: Hello, and welcome to Grief, Gratitude, and the Gray in Between podcast. This podcast is about exploring the grief that occurs at different times in our lives in which we have had major changes and transitions that literally shake us to the core and make us experience grief. I created this podcast for people to feel a little less hopeless and alone in their own grief process as they hear the stories of others who have had similar journeys. I'm Kendra Rinaldi, your host. Now, let's dive right into today's episode. Welcome to today's podcast. Today will be just a little different. I usually record these podcasts using an audio format and um, of 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 yeah of recording. Today we're doing this via Zoom because we know how to roll with the punches. <laughs>
0: <laughs> exactly.
1: Right? That's how it is. So today we're doing via Zoom. So be a little different because I'm actually seeing the person I'm speaking. Usually I'm just listening. So um, so anyway, I have the honor of inviting you all to listen to Patricia Di Picciotto's, am I saying it right? Di yes. Patricia Di uh, story, grief journey today. And Patricia and I uh, met through Instagram. She reached out and said she normally does these little shares um people's stories on her instagram page and then we just chatted another day and we're just kind of doing this uh interview now and then we'll hop on and do one on her instagram and so sharing our stories with the world so patricia thank you so much for being
0: here thank you for having me
1: so glad that you're here. So tell us a little bit about you. Um, I know that I already know a little bit, but I want the listeners to hear a little bit about you, where you grew up and uh, where
0: you live now. So I grew up in Geneva, Switzerland. My parents were both Lebanese. They left Lebanon at the end of the 70s. I was born in Hong Kong because my father was working there. And then they moved to Geneva, Switzerland. How old were so you when where-
1: you- When you moved from Hong Kong to Geneva?
0: I was a year old. Okay. So I don't really remember Hong Kong, but I have two older siblings and they do have vivid memories of the years they've spent there. But yeah, so Geneva was um, my hometown for 20 years. I went to school there, I went to college, and then moved to London for a few years. And then I joined my mom to Brazil. She was remarried at that time to someone in Brazil. She had left when I was, I think, 19. And when I was 23, I thought, you know what, before going, you know, full on in the professional world, I might as well, you know, go to Brazil for six months or a year, learn a new language, a new culture, you know, get some experience. So I moved there in 2005. And luckily, like a month into, you know, moving to Brazil, I met my future husband. No, so you found uh, yeah. so so love in like, mysterious
1: places. <laughs>
0: I was, yeah, was so happy because I my plan was to spend like six months or a year, and I ended up spending 10 years. So <laughs> it was totally unpredictable. And I just stayed because I realized that you know they don't want to leave my mom, they didn't want to leave my boyfriend. After a year, I was really fluent in Portuguese. I was able to read, to write. So then I started working in jewelry again. And I got married, had my three kids there. And then we moved to New York uh, five years ago in 2015.
1: So that's, yeah, that's quite a big big, uh, change. I tell people, like, I know the grief story we're going to share has to do with the passing of your mom, but the fact of even moving, there's grief in even those components of those Mm -hmm. moves, you know, when you're starting your life all over again and leaving something behind. Which one of those transitions in your life do you feel was like, one of those that was the hardest when you moved?
0: I think the hardest was when I moved to Brazil because I really didn't speak a word of Portuguese. I found it very hard to find someone who could speak in English or in French. And I had to adapt to a whole new culture, whole new, you know, habits, traditions. So that was a big move. Mm -hmm. But in, you know, on the other hand, I had my mom there and, I knew i didn't want to be so far away for so many years i never expected to spend like a decade in brazil but i knew i wanted to spend some time with her there but definitely it was hard to adapt and then moving from sao paulo to new york that was a decision that me and my husband really wanted you know to take and we wanted to raise the kids there but the day before literally the day before we hopped on the plane to move to New York my mom's husband my stepfather was diagnosed with cancer so it was heartbreaking because that was really the day I'll always remember the day before we left we left on a Wednesday night on a Tuesday afternoon I had organized a party for my kids like a farewell party for them and my mother got this phone call and she's like The doctor just called. We need to go there. He has something to say to Simon, which was her husband. Mm
1: -hmm. So she
0: left in the middle of the party. And a few hours later she calls me and she's like, he needs to, you know, be hospitalized tomorrow. That's like an emergency surgery because they found a tumor. So the next day, literally the day of my departure, she spent the day in the hospital with her husband and she just left for a few hours to come say goodbye. And then went back to the hospital. So, you know, it was such a happy decision to move to New York. And all of a sudden, there was this cloud over our heads because I didn't want to leave anymore. At that point, I'm like, okay, now that he's sick, now that my mom's going to be, you know, taking care of him, I can't leave. But we had to. And my kids were enrolled in school, you know, like we had rented the apartment, we had sold the apartment in Brazil, like there was no way back. So that was bittersweet because. I always wanted to move to New York. You know, this is really something that we've thought about and we've planned. And last minute, like literally in the last 24 hours, this happened. So okay. it
1: yeah, because then you're leaving your mom and your stepdad in this very vulnerable yeah. time. And so it's that torn in between kind of emotions uh, mm-hmm. for you. Like you said, bittersweet. Yeah. Uh, yeah. And I
0: think also when I left, when my mother left, to brazil so i was 19 she was getting remarried she was still young you know she was like enjoying life but all of a sudden you know she had me for 10 years she saw my kids you know growing up and it was even harder for her to say goodbye it was much harder for her to say goodbye that time when i moved to you know to new york that when you know she went to brazil and i stayed in geneva so all those goodbyes you know were always you know as you say you have to grieve something that you're leaving yes. behind, and for me, as I, it was not the hardest move because I really wanted to move, but leaving my mom in that situation, knowing that my stepfather was that sick, yeah. uh, it was really scary.
1: That that is uh, that is so true. It's like that we have to live those little, min, like smaller griefs, mm-hmm. in order to prepare us sometimes for these other. Major grief changes that happen in our life, and a lot of times I feel we shelter either ourselves and even our kids from experiencing loss. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, like I, I was reading something the other day regarding really allowing them to, to, for example, if they lost their blankie. Like I know, I when my kid, my right. kid lost his first blanket, I bought two extra ones you know Mm -hmm. like because i was like i don't want him to like lose his blankie again you know and i don't want him to go through that pain of like if he loses it not to have it and you know and this is like when they were little but those little things that we even expose our children to like moves and things like that as hard as they are they do help for other aspects in life which are much bigger transitions and that we know that are bound to happen which in the in in everybody's life, death is one of those, right? So yeah. the death of a loved one. Uh,
0: but it is builds one of resilience because all these moves yes. that I went through, you know, in 30 years, I, I'm such a chameleon. I feel if my husband tells me tomorrow, oh, we're moving to that place tomorrow, I think I'm so flexible, right? And my mm-hmm. kids too, I think they would adapt easily. You know, it really builds up a certain. Um,
1: character yeah. Type of character yeah, yeah 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 resilience is the right word it and flexibility word. and flexibility too yeah those two words are perfect for this you're absolutely right okay so now your grand your stepdad gets diagnosed your uh mom is there you guys are here then yeah. tell us a little bit what happened after. So my afterwards.
0: stepfather got pretty sick and for three years from march 2015 to july 2018 he was he was sick like he never had a day where he was uh cancer free so for those three years my mom was her caretaker but she didn't have us by her side so it was really all about him all the time and in december 2017 that was his last surgery and they kind of close him up and say there's nothing we can do it's too far away The metastases are in his lung. There's really nothing, you know, nothing left. So December two thousand seventeen. That's when you know he had to take the decision of not pursuing any treatment or surgery and really surrender to the truth that he's not going to cure from his cancer. So that When, when
1: was sorry to interrupt you. When was the where was the original tumor found?
0: I think in his colon, in the beginning yeah, okay. big his time. So
1: colon and then had had metastasized to the lungs at that point, at yeah. uh, three years later.
0: Okay. Yeah, Two years and a half later. Two and a half years December. later. Okay. December. So at yeah. that point, you know, you have to surrender to the hurtful truth. And then a month later, so January 2018, my mom, you know, she called me one day and she's like, you know, sorry to give those details but it's like the color of my urine is very dark and she was always she always needed a push to go to the doctor I'm like you have to go to the doctor see if it's not an infection you know your infection can makes you sick and you can have fever you have to check it out she went and she did check it out and there was zero infection she was totally fine they sent her back home three days later she wakes up yellow like her tone her skin or yellowish.
1: Jeandice. Yeah.
0: Yeah. She goes straight to the doctor again and he's like, okay, you're going for a PET scan. So that was January 11, 2018. And January 12th, 2018, he calls her back early in the morning with the result. And he said, we found a tumor in your pancreas. Luckily it looks small enough to have surgery. So we're going to schedule surgery for the next week. But imagine the shock of getting this news like a month after the final diagnosis of my stepfather. And at that time in the winter, there's three hours difference between Brazil and New York. So my sisters are in Switzerland. So that's six hours ahead. And my mother is in Brazil. So that's three hours ahead. And then there's me sleeping. And everyone's calling me, everyone's calling me. And as soon as I woke up and I have to say, I will tell you about this. I still have like WhatsApp anxiety and, and phone anxiety. You know, I feel like if I don't check my yes, phone, I'm going yes. to my phone and have like a bad news. Because oh
1: my I'm- gosh.
0: <laughs> you know, but what you're saying, I'm sorry.
1: I, I, and I want you to continue that, but what you're saying right now is something that people that go through um, a, a loved one that has gone through, that is going through something, Mm-hmm. You have that anxiety of, not yeah. the, of the phone, which is a little different than when you hear just a sudden, you know, when somebody passes yeah. away suddenly. So there's a different type of grief component that is in that, in that slow process, that even though you get to be in that process, at the same time, I felt like for myself being that we share the same thing, my mom mm-hmm. also passed away from pancreatic cancer, is the... Feeling like you're holding your breath all the time, yeah. not knowing when to call. Oh my gosh. Okay. So you wake yeah. up and then you so I
0: wake it. up, so many missed calls, so many. So I need to go through the WhatsApp, right? Because I have to open the app, I have to see the messages, like which messages am I opening first. And actually, the first one was from my sister. And she's like, call me, we're trying to reach you out. The doctor called my mom. She has a tumor in her pancreas. And I had to reread the message twice because I was so used at that point to get the news from my stepfather, having tumors and this and that. Right. And I reread and like my mom, how come my mom is, is, you know, sick, like her husband is sick. She's not sick. So, you know, you have to to like read and reread the message. And then I don't know, I started crying and then I called my husband and then I tried to call my sister, but I was crying. I didn't know how to call my mom. We were all in shock in such a shock that day I spent the day in bed. I couldn't do anything. My husband like canceled all his calls, everything. Cause we are far away. Imagine. So my sister's in Switzerland, I'm in New York. My mom is in Brazil, getting these news. We're waiting on the doctor to schedule the surgery. And it was only the next day that this, you know, the doctor was able to schedule the surgery and he's like, okay, you're, you're, you're getting prepped on Wednesday. I think you're getting the surgery on Thursday and i flew that weekend and i just went to brazil for as long as it was needed i didn't even know how long she was going to stay in the hospital like how she would recover from the surgery how she would go back home but it's those moments where you just book a ticket and leave there's nothing else you know you can do and also i'm the only one of my siblings who speaks portuguese so i always had this responsibility of taking care of all the medical uh, you know, legal, are you the youngest and decisions? I'm the youngest, Yeah. but you know, but you I'm had, had to take the responsibility of being the, yeah, the oldest I was one. I was able to speak mm-hmm. to the doctor when she spent those three weeks in the hospital, I was the one talking to the nurses. So I slept with her at night at the hospital because if she needed anything. Like I was the only one who was able to talk to the nurses, talk to the doctor, you know, be the bridge between her and the medical staff. So even when her husband was sick, know, I think I always had this responsibility of being the one in charge of my mom, not of my mm-hmm. mom, but helping her in the decision and talking to, as I said, doctors, lawyer, insurance. I always right. helped her
1: with- But that's because you were also living, you had been living in uh, yeah. Brazil, you created that other dynamic. Yeah, that was different than the one of your sisters just because of also you having been the mm-hmm. one to move there. Um, the language, the aspect that you kind of knew the ins mm-hmm. and outs, you knew her husband probably better than your yeah. sisters because you lived in the same place. Um, mm-hmm. So you helped her with those decisions and now you're helping her with this. Did the kids stay, was it only you that flew in
0: yeah I they stayed like, in the my states husband with the three kids and i'm like i don't know when i'm coming back i am coming back but i really don't know when i'm coming back because at that point we just knew that she had to go through a major surgery but we didn't know how long she would stay in the icu how long she would stay in the hospital you know so big question mark and there's always this thing my husband is from sao paulo so he really he needs to you know come and work from there he can so there's always this thing about like i'm leaving and if you have to join me then you know you'll come and just take the kids out of school and it actually happened when my mother passed when the doctors um told us that it was the end i told my husband you have to come so you know we pulled the kids out of school and he came and he worked from from brazil
1: what, what you're saying there is something that I feel a lot of people don't have sometimes that flexibility, right? No. Because you, so the blessing of one, the fact that you were it's able like, to travel, yeah. the blessing that your husband could work from mm-hmm. anywhere uh, so that that way you could be there yeah. in that I, moment. I, and I know like, that. I had
0: what that. a blessing privilege and the blessing of being able to book a ticket every time you know my mother needed me I also worked for myself at that point because I was doing uh, art tours so I had my own schedule I was very flexible I could you know really work the weeks I was in New York and then the weeks I needed to be in Sao Paulo I I wasn't working and the flexibility of my husband being able to work you know in both both cities so definitely yeah, those yeah. are like the And it helped are. me because for two years, between January 2018 and November 2019, I think I've spent 15 to 16 weeks each year in
1: Brazil. So, wow.
0: So literally now, like a quarter of the year.
1: Now take us to the moment in which then your mom had her surgery.
0: Mm-hmm. Your
1: mom had the surgery. She had the that removed. She then uh, was... Fine. She did a few chemo treatments, or like tell us a, because something happened. major the
0: tumors. Yeah, the tumor was was removed, and it was a huge success. And they were very happy of the way you know she was getting better, being able you know to stand up because like those surgery, you know, with a huge scar, it's even hard to put one step in front of the other. She was doing great. She came back home after three weeks. Um, she was not independent at that time, but she could stand up, she could walk, she could do a few things on her own, you know? And she went through just a few chemo, not so many, you know, uh, side effects. She didn't lose her hair at that time. She didn't have any nausea. She was, she was okay. And then she was in remission for a few months, but Those few months where she was, you know, chemo free and tumor free—that's when her husband got terminally ill, and that was between, you know, May and July. So it was like a
1: ping pong. It was like a ping pong match.
0: Crazy.
1: It was like like he was sick, she was taking care of him. Then she was really sick, he was taking care of her, and then she's in remission, and then he gets sick.
0: And then he gets terminally ill. So, as I said, since December, we're waiting on that moment to happen, you know? And we went to Brazil again many times, but in July, I think beginning of July, end of June, he was, you know, really at that point where, you know, he can hardly breathe, he can hardly walk, and he didn't want to go to the hospital. He wanted to spend the last days at home. But the last week, my mother was telling me he's, he's, he's been falling you know he's been falling like he cannot stand up he like he stands up he falls but he doesn't want help so the situation in the last days the last week were was very complicated and same thing like i took a plane went to brazil and i was like okay if you need help with him i'm going to help you you know because if he's not accepting any help of anyone else then you know someone needs to help my mom and at that point i got there he was barely speaking barely breathing and the doctor told my mom you should t- you should bring him to the hospital but he didn't want to yeah you know like he wanted to be home and the last two days i told my, my mom he wants it he doesn't want it we're taking him to the hospital it's too big of a responsibility to have him in the last days at home and the pain and you know because you needed to be able, point, to, manage he wasn't able to swallow yeah so how can you give more than to someone who cannot swallow so it was just too complicated and you know he went to the hospital and the last 2 days we were you know with him 24 yeah 24 hours a day until his last breath so i was with him and with my mom mm. in the final moments and then i stayed another 4 weeks with my mom after his passing because she needed to go through you know the burial the funeral the week of prayers that were jewish so we did shiva for a week And then just all the legal, you know, things you have to go through, lawyers, insurance, doctors, paperwork, all that stuff. So I stayed with her those five weeks, a week before his passing and then four weeks after. So I was really trying to, you know, to do as much as I could to help her at that point.
1: That is is so commendable and just, again, like, that is so beautiful that you were able to be there, not only for his passing, yes. but also for her. Um, now in those, in those moments, like while, while he was sick, the conversation about what he, like the conversation about death mm-hmm. come up and about wishes in terms of what he wanted, for example.
0: So no conversation death. with him?
1: Nothing. No. Okay. How about how about with your mom? I was the
0: one pushing. My mom was like, try to have this conversation. Yes. try like, he he doesn't want to speak about it. He, it's not that it was denial. It was a mix of you know superstition, of culture, of yes. of just not being a person that opens up. You know about fears and, and anxiety, and maybe a little bit of denial.
1: Mm-hmm. Now, how about there's something mom? very
0: strong about death in our culture and you know we're jewish we're middle eastern you don't talk too much about that because you know it might happen and you don't want to to yeah you don't want to jinx it yeah
1: Yeah. it's like you you're bringing it's as if you're bringing it about us but the reality is that we all are gonna die right so it's like it's that thing and that's the reason i know and we'll get to this part too of what what you're doing now in your own grieving process now but um of bringing these conversations more to talking when we are healthy about that and our wishes so that it doesn't become so taboo. People create a birth story, right? They want like a birth plan. You are like, oh, so when I have my child, I would like mm-hmm. this and I want this midwife and I want this and I want my husband to be there and I want that, that. that and then we're gonna play music in the background. Mm-hmm. Okay, maybe on that particular day, it doesn't go as planned that's Mm -hmm. fine but you had some idea of what you wanted your birth to be but it is just so opposite yeah it is talk about how we want
0: but we don't even talk about sickness like you don't even pronounce the word cancer you just don't tell other people that you're sick you try to hide it you you Try to make it go away by hiding it, but it's just not going away. So I was pushing my mom to have the conversation. She's like, "I'm not able to have this conversation." Even for her, I'm not. I'm not even putting this on my stepfather because he didn't want to talk. She didn't want to. She Mm. didn't want to
1: admit, like, confront
0: the reality that it can happen. You know Mm. that it's really happening. So they were both kind of. Let's say in denial, but it was a mix of denial and superstition.
1: Mm -hmm. Okay. Now he passes away. You stay there for four weeks. Yeah. Back to New York and then tell us then what started happening then with your mom's health a little bit. Mm -hmm. And also in this time, I want to know too, what were you doing to cope with all these aspects of grief? Like you knew Mm Simon, Simon, Simon pretty well. Give me a second, my dog keeps on wanting to go. Okay. She wants to, she comes in, she comes out, she comes in, she comes out of the bedroom. She's like, so I just, the door was too cl- closed. No, she was just here when I was talking, yeah. So. I was,
0: um, I was worried for my mom at that time. Like I, yeah. yes, I was grieving him, but also I was, worried for my mom as a new widow with this, you know, cancer on her mind, because she had to go through scans every three months. So, I mean, we knew when the doctor told us, like, there's always a possibility, like, it can come back. It's such an aggressive cancer, you know, you're not fully in remission. You're just having, you know, a few months off to, you know, to try to cope with the other drama that is I really feel like she got those few weeks, you know, of just to be able to cope with, with the loss, but in November, so she came to New York. That was her last trip to New York. She came to New York in October and she had to go back to Brazil because her scan was scheduled for November 1st or November 2nd, 2018. She had the best time in New York that week it was hard because as i said she was a widow but we were really trying to make her feel you know that's the thing you do when someone is grieving you try to make them forget about the laws try to make them feel better you, you you're just trying your best you know to be around the person and support her she really had a great time a great trip with the kids halloween she got dressed up i'll have those pictures forever of my mom last halloween and she went back and we were sure but we were really sure that she was just going back for routine scan and she was planning to go to switzerland so after the trip in new york she was planning to go to switzerland to see my sisters for the winter season for the winter break so we really thought and we had that hope that the scan was just a routine scan and then the scan result came back and the tumor came back so i had to leave again i went to i went to sao paulo talked to the doctor what's the next step what are we doing she was just a widow and now she had to deal with cancer all over again and also the chemo he was you know offering that time had the side effect of hair loss. And mm. that was the first time, you know, she was even thinking about hair loss because I don't know, it somehow it makes it more real, you know, like you see it every day. And I remember on that trip in November, we went to get her a week. So that was also tough, but I went with her and we chose the week and you know, she tried it on and did the highlight change the color and then she started her chemo and then she went through chemo from november to june three different types of chemo and even if the tumor in her pancreas was shrinking in june on june 26 2019 she got the result of one of the scans because it was every two three months and they say she had metastasis in her liver and at that point it's just you know the news that you don't wanna get because okay. you can still keep your hope up, you know, when it's about a tumor, but then metastasis in the liver, that's, that's just bad news. And I remember that day, it was June 26th, I was dropping my kids to sleepaway camp. So I was, you know, near the buses, the kids were in the buses, so I was able to say goodbye to the kids. They were in the bus, each one in a bus, so I was trying to wave to one, to wave to the other. Then the phone rang, and it was my mom, and she told me I have this metastasis in the liver. So I started crying. Now remember, there's a dad that came, and he's like, "Don't worry, your kids will be fine." No. Oh. So people thought I was crying. to with my sunglasses, people thought I was crying because my kids were leaving, and I just got this news. And then I totally forgot about the kids. I'm like, I don't even know that my kids are on the bus. I don't think that's it. They're gone. They're up to camp. I was just focused on the news. And it was such a shock because once again, you, you know, you always keep your hopes up and you're, you know, you you want a good result from the scan. You want the tumors to shrink. You want to have the hope that even if she has to live with this, with this treatment, it's going to last a little longer when you have this news you know it's how much hope can you have but we you know we still tried and at that point her doctor and another doctor in new york told her about this treatment which was really something that was not common and it was exper- experimental, experimental. Mm-hmm. and she was like okay i'm going for this it was impossible for her in June to take the decision that her husband took like a year and a half before, like, okay, there's no more treatment, like I'm not trying anything anymore. I'm just gonna wait. It it wasn't in her character to accept mm-hmm. it. Like she was really going to fight. So we spoke to the doctor in Brazil, the doctor in New York, and they were like, Okay, let's try. It. That's really the last hope, but it could work, you know. So once again, we're all hopeful and you know, waiting for this treatment. So the treatment had to be shipped, I think, from the States to Brazil. It was not available in Brazil. So we got that treatment. I went to Brazil, that was August. And she was okay for the first days after the treatment. And then she got a major infection on okay. top because her immunity was so low because of that treatment. And she got this major infection on top of her treatment, on top of her immunity that was super low. And that's it. She just, Went downhill from that moment on. And she spent a month in the hospital, which was, you know, that was the turning point. Like she was fine, even with chemo, even with all the news, you know, she was still with a normal appearance. She had her week, but she looked great. Like she was hopeful. She wanted to leave. At that point, after a month in the hospital, she was a different person. She had lost so much weight. She had lost, you know, autonomy she had no more strength she had no more appetite so that's what that was when you know we really looked at her like a sick person for mm-hmm. those year and a half when she was you know battling with cancer she was normal like we knew she was having chemo but she looked normal she lived normally she she was fine but at that point on that's it that was downhill and then that was- it was
1: that was september then so august sorry august yeah. to september that she was so in end
0: of, yeah august I, to september then she came back home for a little bit were you in brazil until, still?
1: were you still I, in brazil
0: at that point i'm like i'm i think i'm more in brazil than in new york like okay i'm basically in brazil and i had to come back for back to school for the kids but then i left the next week and then i came back and then, and then i left for young people i i was in brazil And my kids were able to come because they had a break in October. My mom was at home at that time. I think the doctor sent her home for a few weeks, but she could barely, you know, she could barely walk. She still needed help for everything. And then I remember my sister was in Brazil and she left on a Sunday night, Sunday, October 27th monday october 28th my mom is really not feeling well and the doctor tell her come to the hospital right now and they made us they they, i she had another scan and they saw water in her lung Mm. and at that point my sister is in a plane because it's an overnight flight it's still early morning for me so one more you know situation where i wake up and my mom is going to the hospital in emergency. It's like seven 30 in New York. My sister is not reachable because she's in a plane. And once again, I rush and I leave that same night and she just spent the rest of the, the time in, in hospital until she passed. Were but, you able yeah, to be there when she passed away? I, no, I, from that day on I was yes. with her. Were the you there the day she passed away? Yes. I was sleeping in the hospital. So I was there and that was october 28th when she was hospitalized again october 31st the doctor sees me in the hallway and i was still wearing my pj because i was sleeping in the hospital and i was like barefoot in my pj and he wanted to come in the room and i'm like she's sleeping can you you know is it important and he's like no actually i wanted to talk to you and just like this you know i will never forget that scene it's like in a movie just like this in front of the door like it looked like an er episode you know he just Mm -hmm. announced me we got the result. there's nothing else they can do she's way too weak now the infection has spread the metastases have spread She, she cannot undergo any treatment or surgery like her immunity will not allow it you know she she would just not be able to handle any anesthesia so in you know two minutes your world just crumble you know you're like whoa how am i able to function after this news and actually there's something in your brain that you know either make you fight flight or freeze and i think i froze and i had to freeze because I. I had to call my husband, my sisters, my dad, you know, I had to make all these phone calls to tell them the news. And then I had to go back to the room and just face my mom looking totally normal because I asked the Mm -hmm. doctor and I'm like, you're the doctor. You're telling her I'm not, I'm not going through this. I'm not telling her that it's over. And he's like, okay, I'll come back tomorrow and I'll tell her the news. So for 24 hours I was acting as, if nothing had happened you know i was i was just waiting for the doctor to announce it to my mom because i i didn't have you know the courage and i don't think it was my you know my responsibility to announce her i mean my responsibility was to support her but to tell her this i i think he needed to to do it so the next day he comes with a psychologist and my mom request that i'm present and i'm like i know what you know i know what he's gonna say and i don't want to be here but she wants me here so i'll never forget those two days october 31st and november 1st it was just you know the minute where your world shifts and and a new reality start to you know sink in because You need to prepare. And I think this is where the anticipatory grief starts. You need to prepare yourself for a world without her, but actually nothing prepares you because I was, you know, at that point I was trying to, you know, Google life after loss, mother loss, grief. I was on Amazon, you know, trying to buy books and I was, you know, looking for podcasts, but actually nothing really prepares you for that.
1: Yeah. Because no, even, even if you read things, nobody's experience is going to be exactly what you're living. So as much as you- It's the
0: absence. It's like, you can prepare yourself. Yeah. But you're still here. It's the absence. It's Mm -hmm. not being able to see her, to talk to her, to, you know, even the last days where she was not responsive from Tuesday to Friday, I was still in the room 24 seven. I was, you know, I was in the hospital. She was still there. She, she was unconscious, but she was there. So even those days where I was not able to interact with her, I was still able to hold her hand. She was present. So nothing prepared you to, to the absence of mm. the person.
1: Uh, like now she, so she passed away. So this, it, when you were talking about the October 31st and then November 1st, I was, thinking of how you had just described her being in New York just a year before for Halloween yes. and all those pictures and those moments. So here's a whole year later that it looks completely different. Same month, same year, very opposite emotions going totally. on. So then when- Crazy. I-
0: that's that's her- exactly what I thought. It's crazy yeah. what can happen in a year. Yeah. And then I in- the doctor, you ruined Halloween for me. Like now every year I'm going to- for me, October 31st is the day that the doctor announced me that my mom was oh, going to die. Like And it isn't about anymore, you know? Right. But it's
1: also because it's so recent that still relating mm-hmm. to that is what your mind goes to. But I can say that eventually it may kind of start shifting. For my for my family, my dad, uh, my dad's birthday is December 20th. My sister passed away December 17th. Her burial was December twentieth. So mm-hmm. for many years, my dad would be like, "Why were we celebrating? It today is the day she was yeah. buried." You're like, "We're like she didn't die today. This is your birthday too." You know, oh, yes, yeah. she was buried on your, you know. So it it does weigh for mm-hmm. uh, you know sometime those kind of things when they happen. Uh, but it uh, it will dissipate a little bit as you start experiencing more October thirty first that end up. Filling you with joy. Um, and and then that that memory will just become a little bit more faint in the background mm-hmm. of the of the of the doctor telling you yeah. the, the final But
0: something something special happened the next day because I was on Instagram and then I saw a very, very, very good childhood friend of mine had moved to Mexico and that mm-hmm. it was November first, so it was Dia de los Muertos. Mm -hmm. and she had just recently lost her aunt to cancer her aunt was not Mexican she was not Mexican but because she was living there she's like you know what I'm just going to honor you know my aunt on this day and you know I texted her and I'm like you know it's really you have no idea how impactful was your post because as I said now October 31st and November 1st were the bad news, you know, the end of the world news. And now maybe eventually, as you said, I'll be able to shift it and be a day of remembrance of my mom and of her passing. Mm -hmm. So I don't know if it's going to happen this year, but my friend was able, you know, to shift and celebrate her aunt on that day.
1: Yes. It's
0: it's having grace and
1: it's having grace and patience and, um, Give me one second. My daughter just started a clarinet lesson, hold on. Um, this is one thing I forgot. I forgot that I, I my daughter, now that they're in school, um, can you hear the clarinet? No. Could you hear? Okay, I hope the microphone doesn't pick it up, but the, the computer microphone. So now it's like I could hear it in the background, I'm like, oh no, because now that they're in school, she now has clarinet during her band class, but at home. <laughs> you know so you have to hear everything yeah yes so but now i have to know okay what time is it so that i know okay now i'll know i can't plan recording during her band class (laughs) no but i can't hear anything okay good good so what what i was gonna say is that yeah all having grace and patience with ourselves and those processes Mm -hmm. that it doesn't just happen overnight you know it doesn't and uh, for some people their journey is a little bit quicker and some is harder so just having grace. So your mom passed away. I want to know more if you can share with the listeners or viewers, whichever mm-hmm. method we share this, what, um, what are some of the things you've done in this process of your grieving process? Because it hasn't even been a year yet, Patricia. So you starting the Instagram account was mm-hmm. one of those things. So tell us a little bit about that aspect of your grief.
0: So when my mother passed away, I was in a meditation group that I used to see every week. That helped me a lot because I started, you know, meditating when my mother was sick and when my stepfather was getting really sick. Like that was the point, I think around May 2018, where I had so much, so much anxiety because I was like, whoa, my mom is sick. He's getting sicker and sicker. That means she's going to be a widow very soon. You know, how do I handle this with the distance and being in New York? It helped me so much. I had to really, you know, stop thinking about the future. Like the mindfulness really helped me to focus on the present. At that point, I realized that there's nothing you can plan. You know, like one day I was like planning for my birthday. The following morning, I know that my mom has a tumor in her pancreas. Same for, you know, you're hopeful that this surgery, you know, is gonna cure her and then two days later, oh no, but the result came back and it has spread. So at that point I realized there's nothing I can plan. So mindfulness helped me to just focus on the present. I I couldn't, you know, let my mind go too far in the future. Like how's gonna be life without her? How's gonna be, you know, my kids' graduation without her? How's gonna be my 50th birthday with her or whatever, you know? So mindfulness, really on a daily basis, just like gratitude exercises and meditation have helped me just focus on the day or maybe the week, but not, you know, not more than this, because otherwise your mind and your fears can take Mm. you in such a dark place. Because also when you lose someone, you kind of face your own mortality, right? Absolutely. Yeah. Do I really want to think about something that happened to me? Who's going to take care of my kids? Like, I don't don't want to go there and it can happen, but I don't want to go there. So all the mindfulness that I do is really to try to bring me back to right now, to the present or to just, you know, this period of my life, not too far away. This helped me a lot, but I think I've just respected myself at the beginning. I came back to New York. I remember there was, you know, a lunch that I organized at synagogue in memory of my mom. And at the very last second, I'm like, I'm not going, you know, I told my husband, you go with the kids, I'm not able to face 40, 50, 60 people, you know, hearing one more, I'm sorry, my condolences, I just cannot it. So I think at the beginning I was very respectful of my space, you know, only allowing myself to see the few very intimate friends I wanted to see. And mm-hmm. not putting myself in the situation where you have to smile or you have to listen to small talk. And actually, this lasted for a long time. I think the first time I was able to go back to school, to my kids' school, was end of January or February, you know, maybe two, three months after my mother passed, because I didn't want to see people. I didn't want to go through small talks. I didn't want to hear about their, you know, Christmas break or their February break. I just didn't want that. So I was very good at respecting my pace, my space, myself. And and then covid started. And that's like a whole other story cuz I was happy to be home, but like really like when it started I was like, "Oh my god, this is a blessing in disguise." You know, without obviously knowing about the proportion it was going to take and all the death, but I'm like, "Oh, finally I can like not go to work and be home and not have to go to school and not have to say no to all the lunch dinners and social and professional, you know, obligations you have. So I'm just home with myself, with my family. And I needed that, but then it starts being very lonely. Hmm. Cause not only you're alone and you're isolated and my family is 10,000 miles away and I cannot travel because of the travel bans, but also, COVID is on everyone's mind. So there's nothing else people are talking about. So you're slowly, but surely forgotten, mm. you know, and no one, you know, people just stop checking on you. They they stop asking about you, about your grief. And it really became a very isolated place for me. And I ended up joining a grief group online on Facebook. So at first it was great, you know, was able to, you know, to connect with other motherless daughters, or you know, people who went through similar losses—you mm-hmm. know, a parent loss, father loss, or mother loss—then it became overwhelming. The group had fifty thousand people. There were just too many tragedy and losses, and it was hard for me to to deal with my grief and with so many people's grief. So I just started this page and. At the beginning for like a month I was posting, but it wasn't even public. It was just like me and my Instagram. Your own way. Yeah, it's kind of like your, as if it was your your journal.
1: Like your journal. I just
0: wanted to post about my mom. I wanted to vent. Uh, I was posting in that online group on Facebook, but it was just too much. There were just too many people. So I was like, I'm just going to post there. And also I want to separate myself from my professional Instagram. And I didn't want to see what was happening in other people's life. I didn't want to see what was happening in the museums. Anyway, everyone was on lockdown. So I wanted like a new start with accounts that I would follow that would be only about grief. Like this is what I needed at that point. I needed to connect with people. I needed to share my story. I needed to find an online support because I was not getting a physical support. And a few weeks later, I was like, okay, let, you know, let me try to make the account public. And I did. And I even announced on my other Instagram, my professional one, that I was, you know, taking a time off. Anyway, I'm not able to work for maybe another year now. I, so I was going to focus on the online grief community. And it really started like this, you know, like posting about my mom, you know, putting some quotes. I never planned about you know, having lives or talking to other people, but it happened naturally because naturally you DM someone, then you chat with someone, then you realize that, oh, that person lost her mom two days before me. Oh, this happened, that happened. And organically you're starting to listen to other people's stories. And it's healing for me to listen to them, but it's also healing for them to share. And at that point I realized that sharing your story is not for you know the recognition on social media or for gratification it's really to help someone else and it started with a podcast that i had done with a therapist she wanted to you know to interview me about grief and loss and then i had such a feedback even from you know friend of mine who never went through loss but they were like oh this is so eye-opening to know how to deal with someone who's grieving so then with that same therapist i you know we ended up scheduling a live to have, the, you know, the feedback from, from the podcast and to answer more questions. And it just started. And then I was like, you know what, I want to listen to your story and i want to listen to your story. And I was just, you know, reaching out to, to, to accounts that were so helpful for me, but then also people started reaching out to me. I'd like to talk about, you know, the loss of my dad. I'd like to talk about, you know, the loss of, i was just open to hear about any losses i think that every you know every loss is unique every grief is unique but there is a common thread somehow you'll always be able to understand what the other one is going through even though you're not going through the same loss you do understand you know the pain and also the fact that grief is forever And you're not going to judge that person because that person is still in pain after like 12 years, 18 years, 24 years. And now I've done, I think over 25 or 26 lives I've been doing, you know, many podcasts and I just needed that. It's therapy for me to talk about my mom every day. Like I want to talk about my mom every day, but I have no one with who I can talk about her if it's not on my Instagram. Exactly. (laughs) I'm here. But on my everyday's life, you know, I see people, they don't ask me like, how are you? How are you feeling? Like, you know, so definitely it was, it started as a therapy. It started as a need to talk about my mom. Then it's ended up being a way to share my story and then to listen to other people's story and then just give a platform. So listeners, you know, who might not have the gut to talk about their grief or, who might not want to have an Instagram just for this, they're still able to listen or to read those quotes. And it makes, you know, it just makes them feel better. And when I realized I was helping even one person and then two person and three person, and I was getting the feedback, I just kept going. And now it's been three months and I don't know where it's going, but
1: that is I'm going awesome. to continue
0: sharing stories because it's helping people around us.
1: And that's what it's about. And I mean, that's how we connected. It was you reaching out and, Mm -hmm. you know, seeing, you know, if I could share my story on your, in your account and then vice versa. And I think that you are so righty, but even if it's one person that feels accompaniment in that process and doesn't feel alone. I mean, I say that in the intro of this podcast, I created this podcast so that people that are going
0: through
1: grief can feel like they're not the only ones going through that, that they can relate to somebody else's grief. And like you said, it's not that we can completely, fully say, oh, I know exactly what you're going through. No, I, I have a glimpse of what you're going through because I went through something something similar. My mom passed away from pancreatic cancer. Your's mom, your mom passed away from can- pancreatic cancer. I know what it is to not be able to like turn off the phone at night because you don't know when you're going to get that call, you know, waiting the
0: scan results and seeing the person getting so sick at the end. That's what I'm saying. Every loss is unique, but there is a common thread and we can still, you know, understand and have compassion for each other. And, And it's this empathy that lacks from people who haven't been through loss and they really try to understand, but they don't. And, that's why very early on people maybe stop checking on you or there's they stop you know asking about your grief process or how you're feeling Mm -hmm. and it's really that that lonely place that made me want to have this platform well the the great thing is that you did something that you knew you needed
1: for your own Mm -hmm. grief journey and that in that process you realized that it was able to help others And so there's that, that's, uh, that's the gratitude component and the growth that comes from that, because then you found this other community of people in your grief journey that you would have not found otherwise, had you not Mm -hmm. been going through something yourself. So, um, so it just opened up your circle of, of, of friendship and community to be a little bit different. And, um, and even, and again, when we're grateful for certain things, it doesn't mean we wish That that we're happy something, that that we're we're happy that we lost Mm -hmm. our moms or that we're happy. That's not what it means when we find gratitude. It's just being grateful for the fact that we are able to wake up every day, (laughs) that still remembering our loved ones in our heart and being able to share their story. In one way or another, and also being able to help others that are going through their journey. So before we uh, we finish off, Patricia, let people know how it is that they can find you on Instagram, uh, so that they
0: can so my Instagram is Nishama Journey, so it's N-E-S-H-A-M-A-Journey, and Nishama meets soul in Hebrew. And after my mother passed, I realized that we could still have a connection between our souls and now we're on you know on our own journey i'm sure her soul has her own journey now in the afterlife and my soul journey is still here in this realm but there is still a connection and there will always be a connection so the back about the soul. i love
1: love that and i will put the i'll put it on the um on the show notes to uh I appreciate you so much. Thank you so much for Thank sharing you so
0: much, your
1: story. One thing, what is your mom's name? Shelly. Shelly? Shelly. Shelly. How do no, you pronounce
0: Shelley. it? Shelly. S-H-E-L-L-Y. Oh yeah,
1: Shelly. Yeah, Shelly. Okay, Shelly. Shelly. Okay, just the, because I know we talk about our mom, and then we forget, yeah. that. There, there was a name, so Shelly. Thank you for Shelly also for, bringing you to this world as well, and the person that you are, and that uh, even though, you know, she's passed on, she gave you certain tools, even in the time that she was alive,
0: Mm -hmm. to be able
1: to give you that gift of being able to breathe in such grace as well, and give to others. So thank you to her as well. Thank
0: you so much, Kendra. (laughs) Thank you. Thank you.
1: Bye.